just, I don't know, just this enemy. You know, maybe we can just pattern ourselves after Jesus. That would be a good idea. So I'd like to do that and other things. We can pattern our, our, our view of the Father after Jesus' view of the Father, and we'll have an accurate view of the Father. <clears throat> so the first happened when he was a child. We find, read this in Luke chapter 2, verse 45. Um, read out the New Living Translation. It says, when they couldn't find him, well, this is the first a little uh, context. This is, a, uh, you know, the Jews were required to go to Jerusalem three times a year for three great festivals. And um, uh, the males were required often to bring the whole family. And so this is one of the great festivals. And, you know, most of, the, uh, of, of, of all the Israelites that could travel to go to Jerusalem, huge, huge party is what it was. And then they were coming back. So this is coming back, and Jesus' parents couldn't find him. They'd been walking. With, uh, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Um, so they had gotten quite a ways thinking that he was with a uh, cousin or something. You know, because it was a whole extended family. You know, leaving together, kids that age, we just came up with buddies. And it was probably in the evening, that, and he didn't get home for supper when they were camping on, on the way home. Uh, they were just frantic. So three days later, isn't that interesting? He's gone, he's missing for three days. Uh, prophetic. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Jesus cried, but why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. I think it's really interesting. This is, these are the first recorded words of Jesus. Right. Why are you searching? You know, I think he was in the zone. You know, he had just spent days talking theology with the best of theologians of, of his day. You know, and he was in the temple. He was just talking about God and the things of God and the kingdom of God. And this is his first experience. Boy, he was in. And they walked in and he was like, what are you looking for? You know, <laughs> he was on a different track. Uh, don't you know that I must be? He, he had to be there. Uh, in my father's house, but they didn't understand. <clears throat> it's uh, uh, Jesus knew where he belonged, right? His identity, his purpose was settled. He was only about 12 years old at this time. He belonged in the father's house doing the father's business. In fact, some translations say, uh, you know, I, I needed to be about my father's business. And, uh, but his natural parents didn't get it. His natural parents weren't seeing it from the, from the same perspective. And uh, that's actually understandable because we experience the same kind of thing. First Corinthians chapter 2, 14, uh, Paul kind of explains this dynamic. It says, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. There's a natural mind and there's a spirit. And sometimes the natural mind has a hard time grasping the spiritual truth or the spiritual way of seeing things. Like Christ, we need to understand
Jesus was at home in his father's house more than he was at home on the way to uh, Nazareth where they lived. Does that make sense? Because he was in his spiritual father's house. And that's really more who he was than the son of Mary and Joseph. And that's really more who we are. Because our purpose is to do his will. It's our true identity. It's living in our, our new identity. Our identity is new creation. All right, the second uh, episode is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus uh, is uh, about to be baptized. <clears throat> this whole change of servicing, I remember what time I, how much time I had to preach. I'm doing good. I better not slow down. <laughs> Okay, so Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John, allowed him, Jesus, which I think is an interesting way to put it, because here is a mortal allowing the divine the Lord to be baptized. Uh, it can be done by the, that, that John agreed to do it. You know, it can translate either way. But the idea here is that John had to cooperate with the Lord and, and baptize him. Verse 16, it says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus had done anything, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he saw heavens open and he heard God's affirmation. It's a very familiar passage, but we need to understand this in the context of Jesus' ministry. He had done anything. This was, he had just gotten baptized. And God is already affirming him. Jesus never did anything to earn or obtain God's favor. Right? So we learn about Jesus' relationship with the Father. And we need to pattern our relationship with the Father after Jesus' relationship with the Father. Every miracle Jesus did, every teaching Jesus did, all of his life of obedience, the fact that he lived a sinless life, flowed not from a desire to please his father, but from the knowledge and the deep understanding that he already was pleasing, that he was that God was well, well pleased with him, that he had a loving father, right? Uh, and that his father was well pleased. And so that was the uh, foundation or the wellspring out of which everything came. So often Christians twisting, getting around the other thing. And the enemy wants you to think. You have to do this so that God's happy with you. Or if you sin, you better do something good. God, you know, you know, that's not how God works. He loves you 100%. He's for you. The heavens open. The heavens open. You know, open heaven. Just believe it. Believe it. And start fighting it. You don't have to earn it. Trying to earn it actually makes, you, makes it impossible to obtain. Receiving it freely is how we obtain it. And the word beloved is very important. It means uh, esteemed. It means dear. I like this. It means favorite. My favorite son. You're my favorite. You're worthy of love. 
look at this word because it's found elsewhere in scripture. It's found in Ephesians. They haven't predestined us to adoption. This is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. A group of people just like you that just happened to live a couple thousand years ago and spoke a different language and probably had different clothes. And they didn't have they didn't have cell phones or cars. <laughs> well than that, they're all the same. Struggle with the same issue. Having Paul's explaining to them who they are in Christ. And he's saying uh, that we've been chosen, we've been predestined to adoption as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself. Okay? By Jesus. So it's a personal thing. According to the good pleasure well pleased with you of his will. So that same idea of God's pleasure is the motivating factor. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Wow! Listen to that. We're accepted in that. We share with Jesus. We're accepted in the beloved through adoption. What Christ had through uh, being the, the only begotten we share in the same um, uh, 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 place. We're in the same place relationally with the Father uh, in that we are part of the beloved. We're <clears throat> esteemed. We're dear. You know what, Aaron? You're God's favorite. <laughs> you're God's favorite. You know, God's big enough that you can all, you know, all the billions of people that have ever lived. There's almost 7 billion, 7 billion people alive today. Plus, all the people that ever lived in the past, who knows how many they are. He's big enough to have that many favorites. He really is. Uh, <clears throat> so we are to relate to the Father in the same manner as our loving Father is well pleased with us. That's how we are called to understand the Father. The next episode in Jesus' life is um, his greatest miracle. Uh, and this is when his friend Lazarus died. Uh, shortest verse about it. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, the man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, like, Jesus, don't you know what you're doing? I love how everybody corrected Jesus. It seemed like he would have figured out by now. <laughs> like his mom said in his first minute, whatever he says, just do it. She has learned. <laughs> whatever he says, just do it. <laughs> Martha goes, Lord, he's been dead for four days. Come on, it's going to stink. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? Uh, so they rolled the stone aside, and Jesus looked up to heaven, and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out, come forth. So here we see Jesus at one of his most vulnerable and exposed times. His friend, Lazarus is called his friend. We don't have a picture of, of him in his friendship, but maybe it's young men, maybe it's children. Uh, they were really close. We just don't know. All, all we know is that he was called Jesus' friend and died. And the shortest verse in the Bible, probably also one of the most poignant, is that 
Jesus was angry as he arrived at the tomb in, in, the, in, the, in the New Living Translation. And that kind of surprised me because I'm like, I don't remember, remember ever remember reading Jesus was angry. How many? Really? Jesus was angry? <clears throat> other translations, every other translation I've used says that he groaned within himself or he was deeply moved. Right? I thought, well, what's this translator trying to do? Speak a emotion in Jesus? <laughs> I looked up the Greek, and it literally means to snort with anger. Right? To have indignation. So Jesus was moved deeply, and within indignation. And I was wondering if the other translations kind of try to soften it for us. Uh, but he's experiencing grief. The one says he's a man of sorrow, and acquainted with grief. And he's experiencing that, and part of grief is anger. Right? And so we see Jesus reacting to the death of his friend. I think he's not merely just angry that his friend died, or uh, angry at those who were asking why he didn't keep Lazarus alive, which was basically making an accusation. Uh, I think he was angry at death. Yes. Right? Uh, last time, Jesus was facing the reason that he came to earth. The result of sin is death. And now he's experiencing it up close and very personal. And he is angry about it. He is grieved about it. He is sorry and moved by it. So in this time of emotional upheaval, again, we get a glimpse into his relationship with the Father. This is so amazing. What does he say? He does something in his anger that most of us probably don't do in our anger. And just give thanks. But that's a good lesson, isn't it? <laughs> when we're angry. And Jesus was angry at something really serious. Well, God was his best friend. All right? And people uh, questioned him. But when he turns to the Father, he says, Father, thank you. You know, we don't know how he said that. Angry, he's crying, he's moved emotionally. But his words reveal his heart that he was grateful. Father, thank you for hearing me. You, you always hear me. What a confession of faith. What a confession of, of his relationship. What, what we see here is that Jesus had an ongoing, intimate relationship and interaction. You always hear me. Every thought I think, every word I speak, we're on the same page. In fact, I just, I'm only saying this out loud for these people and for us. That's kind of interesting. I've always thought it was neat that the Bible threw that in. You know, uh, God added that to His Word so that we could understand why Jesus said that. Through all those things. Um, and so Jesus, that's how Jesus reacted in a time of intense emotion uh, because He had that. Relationship. In John 16, uh, he continues and talks about this uh, same idea. So in that age, actually, this now applies it to us and how we can have the same intimate relationship to the Father. It says, in that day, Jesus is talking about uh, <coughs> to his disciples about how uh, they will relate to the Father once he's ascended. It says, in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. 
in, in that day, uh, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and I believe that I came forth from, from God. So Jesus is giving us a, a lesson in how we in, are to interact with the Father. Um, he's saying, you don't have to go through me. Once I'm resurrected, uh, died for your sin, resurrected and ascended, you're going to have direct access to the Father. You're not going to have to pray for me and have me try to convince the Father to have something done for you. Right? Which is, again, something that Christians fall into this idea that Jesus is the nice one and the Father is the mean one. <laughs> That's not what it works. Uh, how are you saying? The Father himself loves you. Say this, how about Say, the Father himself. Father himself. Loves me. Loves me. Wow. <clears throat> because you have loved Jesus and have believed that Jesus came forth from God. So like Christ, we're to share an intimate, ongoing interaction with the Father at all times. We can be in that same place, of, even in times of emotional upheaval, every time. Uh, we can have this interaction and this place of being uh, full of gratitude to the Father. Okay, the last episode that we can... Uh, learn about the Father happens at the end of Jesus' ministry. We read about it in John 17. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So this is Jesus' often called the high priestly prayer. This is right before Jesus is arrested and uh, 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 tried and uh, uh, wrongfully convicted of heresy and crucified. So this is, this is really important. This shouldn't just be red letters. This should be red bold letters. <laughs> you know, so these, these are really significant words. And it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have given, that you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them, as you have loved me. Yeah. So Jesus is talking to the Father about his relationship. We actually get a peek into the dynamics of the Trinity. How does the Father and the Son relate? How is that relationship? Again, this is another scripture we get into that. And it also ties in how we relate into that. Um, and I think it's a, a powerful, amazing verse. And we're going to focus on four key words from that verse. And the first one is one. All right? Uh, that they also may be one in us. So he's talking about the unity of him and the Father. You and me and I and you and them and us. Uh, it's not just that they may be one among themselves, which is what I'm talking about. This is actually one in with the Father and the Son. Wow. And, and the word one there is actually the, the word for the number one. And I believe it means perfect unity in every aspect of their being. You know, the, Father and the Son were perfectly uh, in agreement uh, in every
point where Jesus actually says in John 14, 9, says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So they were so unified in every way that uh, Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, it doesn't mean Jesus was the Father. The unity of the Trinity is a mystery. They're distinct beings. Uh, because otherwise Jesus would have been talking to himself. Right? That made no sense. Uh, and especially on the cross when he, when he was separated. Why have you forsaken me? And so we know that they're distinct. But we don't understand. If anybody can, uh, tries to explain to you the Trinity, don't believe them. <laughs> right? We've been struggling with this idea for, for 2,000 years. We just have to go, wow, we don't get it. In fact, if you can understand your God, you, you don't you have met the real God. Right? Because it's, it's not logical to be able for a finite creature to be able to understand an infinite being. Right? And so there has to be mystery involved. Uh, and, you know, the, the Hebrew uh, Shema, the, the core statement of the, the Jewish faith is found in Deuteronomy 6. Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And a good uh, a Jew will say that the first words out of their mouth every morning, and the last words out of their mouth before they go to sleep. The baby's born, the first words spoken into the ear. It's, it's the basis of the faith that God is one, and Jesus affirmed that, but in the life of Jesus, and in the New Testament, we see God revealed in three persons. So, but the point of this is that Jesus is asking the Father that we would share in that same unity as they share, one in us. So we're to be as unified, as one, as the Father and the Son are. Wow! That's intense. You know, that's so intense, I'm not even sure I can understand. Does that make any sense? I mean, that's a, that's a high calling. That we're to be as unified as uh, uh, the Trinity. The second word is glory. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. The word glory means dignity, honor, splendor, brightness, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, grace. I like this one. Kingly majesty. The kingly majesty that God gave Jesus, he now gives you. Wow. The absolutely perfect inward and personal excellency of Christ. The way that that word is used in Scripture. So we share the glory of Christ obtained from the Father. So what Jesus obtained out of his relationship with the Father, he's freely given it to you. How should we relate to the Father in the same way? We share the glory. We share the unity that Jesus shared with the Father. We share the glory that Jesus shared with the Father. The third word is perfect. Because I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one. And the definition of this is to be made uh, com- uh, to be made perfect, to be complete. And it's not perfectionism. In the sense that, boy, every dot, I is not in many things crossed, and it's uptight perfectionism. Uh, uh, we often think of the word perfect, but rather more in the idea of maturity or wholesomeness, that we're not lacking anything, that it, it carried you to uh, completion, and we're brought to, brought to our fullness, our destiny, uh, <clears throat> that, that we've come to that. that it's been accomplished in us. So we 
the same love that He loves Jesus. You want to know how the Father loves you? He loves you equally as He loves Jesus. Well, how can He do that? Because He loved Jesus before He did every miracle. Because He loved Jesus before He did it. He was obedient and everything. And he was never seen as a child. Uh, we're made sinless in, in our confession of faith and through the blood of Jesus. So in every way, we share the same love of the Father. And so these four words, one glorious, perfect love. We're going to have Bill Mentor come up and actually lead us in a, in a time where we can respond to this. Welcome, Bill.